just uh, tell us a bit about your background. Uh, well, I grew up in the U.S., came to Australia, Australia in 1982 on a U.S. Uh, military flight as a very new Christian. Now joining Conrad. Hey, Conrad. Conrad. I'm just telling my story, Conrad. Okay. And um, I got caught up with some crazy Christians up in the Blue Mountains at a place called Kahila, where I sort of uh, experienced Christian community and discipleship. Joined Youth of the Mission in 1983, um, uh, New Zealand, and then in Sydney. Uh, 1988, linked up with Church Army Australia, uh, and I've been working with those guys for the last 20 years. So what's, uh, what's Church Army's, Tim? Uh, Church Army is a lay society of evangelists who are passionate about the least, the last, and the lost. Hmm. Okay. And uh, throughout Australia and other parts of the world. That's right. Great. Hmm. Well, what's uh, what's been happening since? Uh, I mean, what was it about a month and a half ago? We caught up with uh, one of our guys in uh, an undisclosed location in Asia. <laughs> and uh, what what happened for you at that event? Well, in early March, uh, uh, Steve invited me down to join in with a, a few other uh, leaders who were very interested about church planting, particularly uh, about multiplication and church planting movements. He invited us down to spend three days with, uh, with a fellow who's been serving in Asia for the last 12 years in church planting movements. And uh, I've been very keen to, to learn uh, how to do church planning more effectively, how to multiply things more effectively, very taken by the whole concept of movement, believing God wants to do more than what I've been able to see and experience and do. Um, so I was, I was up for coming down for three days to see what God might say or do. So I came in the room, and I think on the first morning, uh, this individual, uh, Barney, we'll call him, stood up and he, he said this. He said, do you believe... God wants many people saved now. And then he stopped. And I thought for a moment, if I say no, that's going to be really hard to justify that from Scripture. If I say yes, I have the strange feeling that God is pushing me somewhere here. Mm. Um, so over the next couple days... Uh, we talked a lot about uh, the very simple, basic things uh, that people are doing. Strategy coordinators is a term they use for these guys in South Asia. Very simple and basic things that strategy coordinators are doing uh, in order to see uh, church planting movements started and expanded and sustained, uh, where in some situations thousands of churches are being planted and and tens of thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ. And uh, I was really rocked, uh, particularly because the things that they were doing were so simple and so basic. And I think if I could speak for the other leaders that were there from Australia, including Steve and myself, none of us could say, yeah, we're doing that stuff. Mm. We, we could all say, Tim, that we knew the stuff, but the difference is we were, we, we were hearing that it was it was happening and it was multiplying. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so that, that uh, few days sort of stirred you up. What did you go home and do as a result? Well, one of the things we did down there was um, we, we did some of the basic simple stuff 
that a church planning movement uh, is based on. And, and what uh, Barney taught us was that it's really about obedience, not so much about teaching, putting into practice the things you know. So we, we made a list of people that we knew uh, that were not believers and made a commitment to go and share with those people. And, and quite frankly, when I was down there, I wasn't sure if, if for me, whether that was where our center is in the Blue Mountains, that I needed to go and do something there, whether it was my neighborhood or whether it was some other location. Um, over the next couple weeks, just praying and talking to some of my other team, uh, together we really begin to feel that God was putting on our hearts as an organization a place called Airs near Campbelltown, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a housing commission area, which actually tops New South Wales in terms of socioeconomic disadvantage. Uh, this is the kind of place the church army loves. The bishop of the region had talked to me about this place a couple years in advance. I've been down there a couple times praying about it. And uh, we wanted to take some of our students from one of our training programs down there to, to help start a new work. And for me, what happened was, uh, as I was thinking about who could lead the students down there, uh, the thought crossed my mind one afternoon that, gee, I'd really love to do that. An hour later, the thought crossed my mind, you know, I could do that if I could raise some money, get somebody else into the office to take some of my responsibilities as as the national director. I, I could actually do, I could lead that team. And about an hour later, uh, that it moved to, I've got to do that. Wow. And I just felt God was saying, uh, th- this is where I want you to be, and this is where I want you to, to try to implement some of the stuff you've been learning, uh, that you learned down in Melbourne, and that subsequently I've been in contact with Barney the email. He was feeding me some information, which was uh, uh, very helpful and very interesting. So, uh, Tim, you've, you've planted churches in the past, but uh, now there's a sense that you've got to dive back in and uh, you had to trust God to see a, a lot of finances come in and um, all of this happened at pretty lightning speed, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I, I sent out some uh, uh, you know, prayer requests to, to intercessors and talked to bishop, chairman of the board, staff members, uh, some very, very conservative people, I said, listen, I'm not sure with the anchovies on the pizza <laughs> or whether God is calling me, but, but here's what I believe I want to do. And, and I went and spoke to the leaders of the existing Anglican churches down there, and I said, listen, you guys are probably going to think I'm a nutter, but I, I want to help start a church planting movement in the Campbelltown area. And in actual fact, I, I, I want to try to plant 400 churches in the Campbelltown area. Only 400? That's, that's right. And um, I thought they were all going to laugh at me, but everybody said, let's do it. Mm. And uh, the money that was required for me to hire someone else in my place came almost immediately. Mm. And everybody that responded back to me said, this sounds great, let's go for it. Uh, Which helped me get a sense that I think think God's in this. So what happened next, Tim? Well, I uh, cast a vision with some of our students. Three of them said they'd come with me. And in the first week of March, I went down there. Um, the Anglicans gave me the building in Ayrts to, to use. So I went down to the building, opened the door, um, prayed, went out on the street, uh, prayer walking, uh, asking for God to take me to persons of peace. So, Tim, the, from the time you heard Barney to the time you were walking the streets, how many months was that? Uh, it was about five or six weeks. Five or six weeks. Six weeks, I think. So yeah. your, your whole life in ministry has been turned upside down. 
a fairly radical restructure of my role, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you start prayer walking. Tell, tell us about some of the people you met and uh, how you saw God work. Well, the first guy I met down the shops was a guy named Bobby. I just saw him standing there with his little puppy, so I said hello. I introduced myself, shook his hand. He told me he was Bobby, and we chatted for a minute, and then he, he headed off. And five minutes later, I headed off down this ring road, Riverside Drive around there. It's just prayer walking again, and I'm just praying, oh, God, you know, pour out your spirit. Mm. You know, take me to persons of peace. Show yourself to these people. Mm. You know, I'm looking for leaders to raise up here. I know they're here. You've got them. You've been working in their hearts. Help me to find them and encourage them and win them and train them. And uh, I look up and I see this guy, Bobby, that I just met in the shops across the road. He looks up and sees me and he says, Tim. I said, Bobby. So I saw that as an invitation across the road and begin chatting with him. Well, within 10 minutes, I found out he was on the run from the police. Uh, he was uh, been on methadone for eight years. He's currently using speed with his brother, who he's staying with his brother and his brother's partner and been drinking heavily and two nights prior he tried to hang himself but his brother found him and cut him down so so you figured he was a person of peace i thought he could be a good worker <laughs> he thought he'd be a good worker excellent That's right <laughs> and then what happened so I, I i shared with him a little bit and said i'd love to introduce you to my team tomorrow and had a prayer with them and then um uh went over and introduced him to my team the following day and uh he came down to the shops we stood outside the shops while we talked and they shared, exchanged some stories. And then I said, listen, Bob, I'd love to pray for you. And he said, I said, would that be okay? He said, yeah. So we're standing outside the shops. He's sitting on a little uh, curb kind of thing. And a couple of the team just sort of reach out, lay a gentle hand on him and, and, and pray, you know, one, two, three quick prayers. And then there's a little pause. And I hear someone say, can I have a go? And I open my eyes and I look and it's Bobby saying, can I have a go? And I said, what, wow. what you want to pray? He says, yeah, can I? And I said, of course. And so off he goes, which w what I think was his first prayer. And I had cold chills running down my whole body. And I thought, how good is this for this team of young students on the first day, you know, on the field in mission. We're with this guy who's really in a dark place, but he's beginning to just open his heart to God. Mm. So that was really exciting. Um, uh, I, I went back to see him a couple days later because I've been trying to call him on his phone but not getting through. And I, and, um, I knocked on this door. Um, and this girl answers the door, and I thought it was Bobby's uh, brother's partner. And I say, is Bobby there? And she says, no, there's no Bobby that lives here. And I'm thinking, she thinks I'm the cops. So <laughs> well, you could look gonna, like, you look like a policeman, Tim. Yeah, you know. that's right. So <laughs> she's not going to admit that he lives there. So I, I keep on coming at it different ways. You know, well, listen, I was here last week, and he told me about this, and I know he lives with such and such. Well, I was, you know, I was really wanted to persevere because I thought, you know, I, I want to see this guy. He's there, and she's hiding him. But in the end, I, I discovered I'm at the wrong house. In fact, I was <laughs> two doors down from the wrong house. Mm -hmm. But also, I thought, hey, this girl really wants to talk. So I said, tell me. Her name was Nikki, Nicole. I said, tell me, Nicole, do you have any kind of spiritual belief? Well, off she goes, talking to me about how she believes in God and prays but wouldn't be caught dead in a church. Well, I start casting vision about a different kind of airs and how she could help me change the community uh, because she seemed quite interested in that. She was quite articulate, although she was, mm. you know, quite a young girl at 20 and uh, obviously had some troubled past and told me stories of seeing her best friend murdered and she had a three-year-old that she's lost and her mom is looking after her who lives around the corner and she's got with a current partner, a 10-month-old 
little boy. Mm. Well, anyway, she seemed quite interested, and um, I said, hey, I'd love to meet, introduce you to some of the team. So I, I head off down the road, go to the church. I meet with one of these other local guys who's joined the team called Brian, and I'm telling Brian about this amazing conversation and prayer I've had with this girl when my phone rings. And it's this girl. She says, my partner, Shane, has just come home. Well, I've told him all about our conversation. Could, could you come down now? He, he'd love to meet you. And I said, well, hey, listen, I'm with Brian. Is it okay if he comes? And so she says, yeah, great. We love to meet new people. And I'm thinking, oh, God, please, you know, this is amazing. Mm. So I go on down to her place. She's cleaned up the table. We sit down at the table. She pours us a cup of tea, and we share our story. Um, prayed, met several other people in the process. And her home seemed to be a bit of a hub of activity. Mm -hmm. So um, I said, listen, I'll come by tomorrow, introduce you to some of the team, and uh, that'd be great. So the following day, I came by with another guy and um, shared some story. And I said, well, listen, what I'd love to do is share with you what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And she had said she, she really wanted to know. He had expressed he was very keen to, to understand how to develop a spiritual life. And um, so I, I, I decided to put into practice some of this, this thinking, and I, and I had a, this idea. I was going to share the scriptures, share the new, uh, sorry, share the gospel with them from the New Testament by taking through a series of scriptures and asking them, you know, what does this say to you? And I thought, well, why don't I just train them how to do this with other people while I'm doing it with them? So you, you started training them to share their faith before they consciously had it. Well, I was just thinking of the quickest way to get, get to them being able to share their faith yeah. and be able to train others. So I thought, mm. well, why don't I model this right from the beginning? Yeah. So I said, here's what I want to do. I said, you know, I want to share with you from the Bible what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And at the same time, what I want to do is I want to teach you how to share the same thing with someone else. I said, would that be okay? And they said, hey, that'd be great. So I gave them each a new Bible and a highlighter, mm. and I said, turn to Romans 3.23. And I gave them a page number, they turned, and I showed them, you know, verses and chapters and, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. And, and they're said, marking the Bible as you go. Highlight that verse. Mm -hmm. Now, could you read that out loud to me? And they read, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I say, what's that say to you? And he says, well, I guess it says, you know, we don't meet up to God's expectations. And I said, I think you got it. I said, see how easy this is? I said, now, highlight that, and right on top of the page... Like I've done here on my little New Testament, Romans 6.23. And I said, I even got this cheat sheet here, so you don't have to memorize this stuff. It's all written here. See what I'm, what I'm doing? So I said, okay, turn a few pages, Romans 6.23. Find that verse. Highlight it. Can you read that out loud for me? What's that say to you? Now on the top of the page, write John 3.3. 3. So I took them through seven verses like that. And uh, I was amazed at how the Spirit of God was revealing the truth mm. of His Word to them and how they were, you know, engaging with it and seemed to be understanding uh, some of the significant aspects of the Gospel. It sounds like, Tim, you're the, the laziest evangelist I've ever heard. You're, you're getting them to lead themselves to Christ and then share the Gospel with others. Well, I like to say I'm in the page-turning business Excellent. and asking questions. Yeah. Okay. So then I said, now listen, I'm, I'm going to take you to the next part of this, and that's just, I'm going to ask you some questions. And I said, see, these questions are on this sheet. You don't have to memorize these. But here's the first one. Do you know you're a sinner? Mm. And they both say, well, yeah. And the second question was, do you want forgiveness for your sins? And they both say, yes. Mm. Third question was this. Do, do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and rose again? Mm. 
she says, yes. And he says, well, no, I don't think so. Mm. And so he's got some questions, and we start talking about that. I said, that's cool. That's really good to be honest about that. And I was sort of thinking to myself, what do I do now? Do I keep on going or, you know, whatever? So I decided to keep on going, and I asked the next question, which was, you know, are you willing to surrender your life to Christ? She says, yes. He says, well, no, I'm not because I'm not really sure I believe yet. And I said, that, that's cool, and that's probably the right answer because you don't believe yet. And so then I asked the final question, which was, are you ready to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life? She says, yes. And he says, well, no, I'm not. Then I said to him, I said, listen, do you mind if she gives her life to Christ and becomes a Christian right now? Is that okay with you? And he says, no, that's great. I really wanted to do that, just that I'm not sure I believe yet. I said, that's wonderful. So I explained to her, I said, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to just pray and ask God to forgive you for your sin, tell him you're sorry, uh, express that you know you believe he died on the cross and rose again for you uh ask him to come into your life and fill you with his spirit and make you a new person i said do you want to pray the little prayer on the sheet or do you want to pray yourself she said i'll just pray myself so off she goes yeah. prays this great prayer high fives all around big smiles <laughs> and um in the middle of it we've been interrupted by someone else who i who i met who was intoxicated and uh so i said to her the following day i'll take you through lesson one of the training for trainers uh, process T4T, and that's what Barney had shared with us down in Melbourne, mm-hmm. which is lesson one's a lesson on assurance and also has the gospel in it. So she said, that'd be great. So left, left you know, rejoicing and giving thanks to God, um, called him up in the morning on my way back over to Eric's, and I said, listen, uh, how about if I come over with one of the team members? They said, oh, no, no, we'll come up to the church. And I'm thinking, is this the same girl who told me three days ago she'd never be caught dead in a church? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things change quickly. So we arrive there, and uh, 20 minutes later, her and her partner, Shane, and their little baby show up, and we had our first small group. Mm. And so we took them through lesson one uh, on assurance, and the, the group and the team were interacting really well. He had, in the meantime, he had read all of the Gospel of Luke and also run the, read the introduction to the Bible I'd given him, which talks about the, the five major acts uh, in the Scripture. She'd read the first section of Genesis and read part of Luke as well. Um, so he had moved a little bit further toward believing, but still wasn't quite there, although through the lesson he had two or three opportunities to say where he was at. So anyway, it was, it was a great session. We met from like 11 till 4 in the afternoon, had lunch, and it really felt like community. It was just amazing. Anyway, I, I go home, and that night at 8.30, I get this text from Nikki. She says, Tim, I just wanted to let you know that Shane has given his life to Jesus Christ, and so has, has Sarah, this other girl. And I said, woohoo. So the next morning when I went to see her, I said, you know, what happened? And she says, well, Sarah had come over, and Shane had his Bible out, and as she said, he was preaching to her, this <laughs> the verses that you'd helped him mm. understand and, and highlight. Mm. And she said, I said to him, you hypocrite. What are you doing preaching to her? You don't even believe that stuff yourself. And he says to me, and I thought, you know, she's right. That is hypocritical. But then he says, you know, but I think I do believe. And so she led him through a prayer of commitment. And then together they led Nikki did, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nikki led him or her? Him. Him. Okay. Together they led her through a prayer of commitment. Yeah. So so on her first full day of, of being a Christian, she led two people to Christ. Wow. You are the laziest evangelist ever. I'm thinking, that's okay. <laughs> so in the, in, in the process of all this, uh, she's, you know, I, I, taught them, I started teaching them along with my team some of the 
uh, principles of church planning movements. Mm-hmm. And I taught them about the six kinds of people, and she identified herself as a person of peace. And uh, before you know it, she's saying, hey, I want to be trained. And I said, well, that's, that's what we're doing. And uh, we met, oh, maybe a dozen of people in her Oikos network and began sharing with them at various levels uh, as a team. And she, she's sharing her story. I had her and Shane write their story out, which they did, which Steve had posted on his blog. Some of you might have seen. And then the following week, uh, she led two more people to Christ. My goodness. Uh, two young people. She texted me at night. I, I'd sort of been talking with this young couple that were at her place. And when I left, I said, listen, have you, have you, I said out loud, I said, I said to this young guy who's 16, I said, Troy, you know, you seem like a really sharp young guy because he popped into some of our training that we were doing with his, with one of his friends. They were wagging school and just popped in at about nine o'clock, sat down for about an hour and a half of our, of our church planning training that Ken Morgan was doing interacted with it, got up and walked out, and then later said to me, hey, we think church is really cool. We really like that. And they just assumed that was church. And she mm-hmm. said to me, I've only been at church one other time, but that was really good. I like that. So we were talking about all this stuff, and, and I say to this young couple, I said, you know, Nikki can show you from the New Testament what it means to be a real follower of Jesus, and perhaps that'd be good to do. And Nikki says, well, yeah, because I asked her, have you done that with them yet? She said, no, I haven't. haven't had a chance. She'd shared her story, and they were interested in been hanging around for a few days. So when I left, I sort of set her up to share, share the gospel with them, and then she texted me back a little bit later to say they both committed their lives to Christ. So wait a minute. You, you didn't share with them. You got Nikki to share with them. And you didn't even stay around. You left then. That's right. Why'd you do that? Well, part of what I was learning from these, from from Barney and these, and things I've been reading about church planning movements is one of the goals is to indigenize the gospel by equip, equipping the local leaders to be the leaders, as opposed to the guy coming in from the outside who builds something that's dependent upon him. So what I'm trying to do is build something that's dependent upon the local people that God is raising up and that God is wanting to use. So the newest believer, or even somebody who hasn't yet made a formal commitment to Christ, can be sharing the gospel with others? Well, yeah, that's what I believe, mm. and that's, that's what we're, we're working with, which is a little bit more, it's a few ratchets up from what I've done in the past. Uh, fairly challenging, fairly risky, but fairly exhilarating at the same time to see what God might do if we sort of really let, you know, trust the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the local Christians. So the Gospels continued to reverberate throughout, is it, was it Shane and, and Nikki's network? Yep. And uh, what's next, Tim? Well, what we're, what we're trying to do is really implement the T4T process, and it probably would be good to just to talk a little bit about how that works. Um, does that sound all right? Yeah, I think uh, we've we've probably got about another five ten minutes. Okay. And uh, I just let anyone listening in or the people in the room know that we're going to post um, this this sound file up on the blog, and uh, we're also going to post some T4T. That's sort of train the trainer stuff around. Uh, that'll also be up on on uh, on the internet, and we'll send send those links around. So just give us a quick orientation, and what we'll do, Tim, is, is uh, for everybody listening in, uh, we'll be following this up, and uh, you might even get a trip, trip down to Melbourne sometime to do some training. 
Okay. <laughs> now, probably one of the most helpful things I've found in this is getting my head around uh, a guy's story who's been working in South Asia by the name of John Chen. Now, John Chen had been an effective church planner and evangelist who in, in 2000 went to strategy coordinator training and learned about the T4T process, went to a province with 20 million people and realized that what he'd done in the past was way too slow. So he liked what he was hearing about T4T, but his dilemma was this. He says, I know that God can use anyone, but I also know that not everyone is going to be a church planner. So how do I know the difference? Well, he said, I don't know the difference. So what he decided to do is he would just train everyone. Now, that concept that I've just outlined right now is now best practice for uh, church planning movements. And so what, what John uh, reckoned was there's only two kinds of people, those who need evangelizing and those who need evangelism training. Mm. And so th that is one of the mindsets I've chosen to adopt and I'm finding it exceptionally helpful. So if I meet someone and they're not a Christian, I know what I need to do. I need to share my story. And um, if I meet someone who is a Christian, like I had, I've got a chance to speak to four congregations in the next two weeks in the Campbelltown area, and I've set it up with the leaders of all those congregations, I said, here's what I want to do. I want to explain, I want to cast vision, I want to explain the T4T process, and I want to invite people into groups to be trained how to how to win others and train others who train others. Mm. Um, so I'm really excited that we might, uh, I've already got uh, one group of Christians uh, identified because I spoke at a men's breakfast. But the T4T process answers four questions. The first question is this, what do I say? Mm. And these are the questions that John Chen says, keep Christians from being effective church planting movement practitioners. So the first question is, what do I say? And the T4T process, it's simply, you help people to tell their story. In three minutes or less, without religious jargon, tell their story of coming to know Christ in a personal and life-changing way. The second aspect, or the second question that's answered is, who do I say it to? And what we teach in T4T is that it's God's will for you to win your family and your oikos. So you make a list of those people that you know that don't know Christ. You group them in groups of five and then prioritize them and make a commitment to go share with those first five people. The third question that the process answers is, what makes you think I'll do this? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that question is simply peer accountability. And the way that the groups run is the first thing that happens in the group after sort of worship and some pastoral care is, How'd you go sharing with people this week? Who'd you share with? What, what results did you have? And what they do in church planning movements is they ask that question every time the group meets without fail, no matter what the time pressure is. You never skip the accountability component out of the group meetings. And uh, the fourth question then is, what do I do if they say yes to Jesus? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that question is the six simple lessons in the T4T process, which the first one I outlined before is on assurance of salvation, the second one's on prayer, the third one's on daily quiet time, the fourth one's on being and doing church, the fifth one's on understanding God, and the sixth one's on understanding God's will for you. So um, they call it training for trainers. It's based on 2 Timothy 2.2. It's, 
it's different than just teaching because teaching communicates knowledge where training is designed to change behavior. Mm. Uh, it's not just six lessons, rather there's an expectation and accountability that everyone trained will in turn train others who will in turn train others. So that's what we're trying to implement uh, down in Airds. There's only two kinds of people, Steve. Uh, those who are lost and who need evangelizing, and those who uh, know the Lord and what they need is evangelism training. Mm. Um, so that's sort of the mindset. And uh, and so, Tim, you're in in what God's given you is you're you're training both uh, new disciples or even people on the way to uh, coming to know Christ, and then as broadly as possible, you're training any believer. Uh, in an existing church or uh, a group, uh, how to share their faith, and then you you create a um, a support and accountability structure around that. But they've got the same paradigm that the people they lead to Christ, they are immediately training to help them share their faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah Steve, I think you got it. It's a little bit like how Al-Qaeda works. I see. <laughs> it's called uncontrolled decentralization. Okay, so... So you actually, once this gets to two or three generations of new believers, you, you don't even know it could jump anywhere. That's correct. And uh, one of the questions I was asked uh, at this men's breakfast on Saturday morning was, well, w- where are these people going to go mm. Like when they become Christians? And, and, and where are they going to tithe to? The thing I love about T4T is the goal is not to plan a church. The pressure is not mm. to plan a church. The, the pressure is to win people to Christ, to disciple them, to win people to Christ and disciple others. And church happens as really as a byproduct. And, and some of these groups will, will, because you teach them what church is, they'll just begin functioning like a church. Some of the groups in, in the experiences I've been reading about will form together and form church. Some of the groups will attach to existing churches. Um, and it doesn't really matter. And, so, and so church is part, comes out of the discipleship process. That's right. As, as you're teaching them, or at least, or they're teaching themselves and one another, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And one of those things is this is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And then you encourage them to find whatever's appropriate in their setting, and uh, either in an existing church or it could be in their home. That's correct. But what? What the process does teach, it does teach the importance of baptism as soon as possible, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm, I'm good with that. And so we, we actually have our first five baptisms scheduled for next week. Um, and with some of the health problems that have happened with some of the people that I've described, uh, like Nikki and Shane's little boys in, in Campbelltown Hospital this morning, mm-hmm. he's got a, a strange uh, sort of uh, hole in his skull and a lump and and he's had an MRI yesterday and, and looks like he can have some sort of surgery. They're going to transfer him to Westmead. So uh, I guess that the other thing I've, I've noticed in these first five, six weeks down there is just the tremendous sense of battle that mm. I feel that I'm in uh, and some of the amazing things that have happened as a result of you know some of these things beginning to happen in terms of opposition. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but anyway, that's, that's, uh, baptism is very important. Um, I believe, and so you begin to function like a church in, those, in these groups right away, and, and I guess where people go, it's really up to... Uh, one of the odd things that happened down in Ayers is from the first week that Nikki and Shane came to faith, they started going to the Anglican congregation on a Sunday morning. 
I don't even go to that congregation. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I, I had no expectation that they would, but they, they wanted to, and, they, and they've been going each week. Mm. So it's a very small congregation, 12 to 20 people. They're very supportive, very on fire, and I'm actually going to try to train some of those people. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens, because that whole congregation could be transformed if, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 mm. new people start going. It'd be a totally different congregation. So, uh, so Tim, your your role then as the worker and the role of your teams. You're you're not uh, planting a church so that you can pastor that church. You're uh, making disciples, who then, as part of their discipleship of following Christ, um, become part of a church body. And then your your role, it seems like, is to continue to plant new seeds and to go back and water it and cultivate it. But you're not becoming the pastors of all these groups. Uh, some of them are ending up in established churches. Some of them are creating new bodies of believers. And and you're sort of a bit like a, I don't know, a, a bee going around and pollinating all these these flowers. Yeah, I think so, and I think the term that they're using in South Asia, strategy coordinator, is a good one. Mm. Uh, so my, my my hope is to guard, protect, and advance the process, and to ensure that that people who are being trained are training others, who are training others, who are training others, to the best of my ability. Now, one of the fascinating things that uh, I've learned from some of the the T4T information is that over the last decade or so, they discovered that uh, out of people who come to faith and are in groups, about 20% of those people will become people who share their story, win others, start groups, will train others who will start groups. And so one of the real keys is, is to work with the doers and not the talkers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very keen to observe, as I'm sharing, who are the people that are putting into practice the things they're learning? Those are the people that are going to be fruitful, and those are the people that I want to spend my time with training, and um, and hopefully that some of the others that are you know slower to pick it up will will get on board. But the reality is, not everybody's going to do this. So so uh, Tim, you train everybody you can, yeah. uh, and then you look to see who's faithful, obedient, fruitful, and that's typically about 20% of those people. And um, you make it a priority to uh, to support and uh, help them move forward and multiply. That's the idea. But I thought most pastors would be spending most of their time with the 80% trying to change them. Well, that's perhaps why we have so few people in Australia that are Christians, Steve. Okay. And it's not that you, you don't love or fellowship with those folks. You simply say when somebody's really ready to go for this and they could be a one-day old believer or they could be an old guy like me, uh, you'll provide more and more training, encouragement, support and uh, equip them to train others. Steve, how many kinds of people are there? Uh, only two, Tim. That's right. See, he's learning. I'm going to work with this guy. So they either know the Lord and they need evangelism and then training or they need evangelism training. So for those other pastors out there and other Christians, all I'm offering them is cast vision and offer the opportunity to, to get the training. Excellent. Uh, Dave, Dave Lawton has a question, um, Tim. G'day, Dave. Hi, Tim. Uh, Tim, really thank you for your presentation. Uh, and I know you've said this, but could I, 
but you just say it in a different way. What is the difference between you planting a church to what you're doing now? What is the what is the uh, can you say it in a different way that that you're trying to start a, a movement uh, rather than plant a church? Explain to me the difference. Yep. Well, one of the definitions of a church planting movement, or the definition of a church planting movement, is where church reproduction becomes the norm, where it's rapid and spontaneous expansion of new churches. Um, the only people I know that are doing this effectively uh, are in South Asia, so I'm just trying to learn from what I'm reading and listening to from some of these people. And what I'm hearing them say, and what is, I've adopted as my goal, is, is not to plant a church or plant churches, but to win people to Christ, disciple them, and uh, train them to train others. Um, and then church really becomes a secondary issue. It, it'll happen naturally. The reality is, if we don't win people to Christ, it's real hard to plant a church. If we win lots of people to Christ, then it's not real hard to plant churches. Because people, as we said earlier, they will form, form church when you teach them what church is, and or they will link in with existing churches. And uh, I'm good with that. I'm very early in the process, as you know. But uh, I guess that's a watch this space. Mm. Well, Tim, um, we're going to have to wind up soon. Uh, but I, I had another question. We've got a room full of uh, people here, maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 people, and perhaps a uh, similar number listening in. And uh, we, this might even end up on the web. So all sorts of people are listening. What, what would you say to us, Tim, if uh, what we've heard today has, has stirred us about what we should do next? Where should we start? Well, I think the starting point is um, if someone feels that God is calling them to do this, they should uh, tell someone else and make a commitment, become accountable. Uh, then make a list of those people you know that don't know Christ or if God's calling you to a new area. Uh, pray hard for persons of peace. Go out and, and, and the only way to find persons of peace in an area is to meet a lot of people. Uh, once you've made a list or identified an area, then you just need to go and share your story with somebody and uh, win somebody to Christ and uh, start training them. Uh, if you're with a group of people, uh, then that's great. Then you, you just say, okay, we're going to do this. I, I met with a gal last Thursday who uh, lives on the northern beaches of Sydney. I've been sharing some of this stuff with her, and she, she sort of gets it. And she shared with her group of ladies that she meets with. She said, we're going to do this. So I went over last week, spent about an hour going through the information with her. And tomorrow she meets with the group, and off they go. They're going to make their list tomorrow. And uh, she's just going to be again, functioning uh, in that existing Bible study group like uh, one of these groups. And so it, it's not hard. I mean, and that was the thing that struck me. This is so basic and so simple. Mm. Anybody can do it. But it does take some resolve to say, all right, we're, we're done talking about it. We're just going to do it. And, it, it, you know, it's not complicated, but it takes a bit of courage, I guess, uh, to say, okay, we're just, we're just going to go share the gospel with people. And, uh, and I think it really has to come out of prayer, um, you know, that God's convicting someone to do this and that God has people out there either in your existing oikos or in an area where you're going to try to penetrate and break into and plant into people there that he's prepared that he'll connect you with. 
So, Tim, uh, I, I like what I hadn't picked that up before, but one of the first things you'd say is get with somebody who you can uh, share, support, pray with, be held accountable to. So there's at least a couple of you, ideally maybe uh, three or four working on this, and then um, reach out into your relational world, and as you're led by God, go into new either areas or networks of relationships and look for that person of peace. Yep. The, the CPM guys say, actually, if you've got one person, that's a group. Mm. Start, start meeting and start implementing the process if there's just two of you. Yeah. So that's all you need. Excellent. That's pretty simple. Mm. So no excuses if you don't have two people. If you've got one person, even if it's your spouse, grab her and... <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> She's grabbed me. We're going for it. <laughs> and Tim, uh, just one thing I wasn't sure about. Wh- how many types of people are there in the world? Steve, uh, I'm concerned for you. <laughs> There's two kinds of people, Steve. Those who need evangelizing and those who need evangelism training. Okay. Well, we're going to um, post some of those resources that you've found helpful on the net. Oh, we've got... Is he still... Ah. Uh, Julian Dunham wants to know, are you still prayer walking? Uh, yes. 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 And we met some other people this week, another network, and uh, I think that looks like it's going to be exciting as well. So I, I don't... I, at first, because I saw this girl has such a good network, you know, do I concentrate all my mm. time on her or do we keep on meeting others? And I think I've answered that question. I think I want to keep on meeting as many people as I can. Christian and non-Christian, and uh, the more people you're in relationship with, and I think the, the goal, as I've come to understand it, for someone who's going to serve in a strategy coordinator role, is to have as many groups meeting on a two-week cycle of people that you're training as you possibly can fit in. Okay. And, and, they, and mm-hmm. they do these groups once a fortnight to try to fit more groups in, because people in your group that you're training are going to be leading a group where they're training. And what they found was when they did it weekly, people would give the excuse they were too busy. Mm. So when they dropped it back to fortnightly, it, it resolved that excuse and also enabled them to be training more people in a fortnightly cycle. That's taken me a little while to get my head around that, but all the new groups I'm proposing, I'm going to suggest we only meet fortnightly for mm. that reason. Okay. Well, um, we're going to... We're going to stay uh, stay in touch, Tim, and we'll let people know about other opportunities to um, get inside this paradigm and go and do something with it. Um, we've got uh, some great people down here in Melbourne and other parts of Australia who really share a similar a similar heart. I think God's up to something. What happened to Bobby? Oh, uh, everybody wants to know before we sign off. What happened to Bobby? Well, B- Bobby's was in Silverwater lockup. Uh, I got a couple friends that are chaplains there. One chaplain went to see him last week. He was really keen to meet with me again, which I was excited about. I was going to see him yesterday morning. The chaplain called me up on Sunday to say they'd moved into Park Lee. Uh, Park Lee as a prison, yeah. Yep, Park Lee prison. And so I've got the chaplain's number there who I've got to call today. He's ultimately going to be sent to Juney for 15 months. Hmm. So I hope they get to see him and uh, hopefully to lead him to Christ. And then I hope to be following up on his brother and his brother's partner who live uh, a couple doors down from Nikki and Shane. So you might get some uh, churches planted in the prison system then. That'd be all right. (laughs) 
Well, uh, uh, Steve Jarl is going to pray for you, mate. And uh, but uh, then a little bit later this morning, we're going to pray big time for Nikki's son. What's what's? Can you share his name? Is that his okay? Neil. Neil. Okay. Neil. Yep. Uh, Steve, why don't why don't you uh, pray? For